You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, March 7th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. How many days or weeks of emergency rations are enough in this new climate normal? The California Report talks to mountain residents who are running out of food. The state's COVID emergency is officially over, and so are mass testing and mass vaccinations. KVMR's Felton Pruitt previews Wednesday evening's workshop on stopping human trafficking. We end with Mark Cuneberti's Money Matters commentary. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Many roads are now open to residents in the San Bernardino Mountains a week after a rare blizzard dumped several feet of snow on the region. While roadways have been cleared, the massive amounts of snow that have piled up have made it nearly impossible for some people to leave their homes. And that means they may be running out of food and other necessities. So many people, you know, they plan for a week of emergency rations or maybe more, but you know, at this point, especially larger families, like, you know, they're running really low. That's Nathan Hazard, a small business owner in the community of Crestline. He says so far the community has banded together to deliver food to those who can't leave their home and the most vulnerable residents. The county has also set up a handful of free food distribution sites and a hotline for those needing their prescription medication refilled. California's COVID-19 state of emergency is officially over, which means a drastic rollback in funding to fight the virus. Throughout the pandemic, we've seen COVID hit underserved communities the hardest. Now, many fear this latest shift will only make these disparities worse. CalMatters health reporter Kristen Wong explains the shift and the concerns around it. Practically speaking, mass vaccination and testing centers will become a thing of the past, and people will need to see a doctor for any COVID care. This worries organizations that received emergency funding to help underserved communities because so many people do not have access to a regular doctor. Throughout the pandemic, long-standing healthcare barriers like lack of insurance, lack of transportation, lack of trust, and economic insecurity prevented people from getting care with very tragic consequences communities of color suffered the highest COVID-19 death rates. These groups came to rely on local organizations for vital health services during the pandemic, but the end of the state's emergency orders also means an end to the funding for that work. That's CalMatters' Kristen Wong. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 846 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. The James Irvine Foundation. Accepting nominations now for the 2024 James Irvine Foundation Leadership Awards at irvineawards.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. A growing number of undocumented workers are reaching retirement age in California, but have to keep working. As KQED's labor correspondent Farida Javala Romero reports, a new state bill might help them retire. 
As an orphan kid in rural Mexico, Abraham Salazar says he started working at age 10, helping to plow fields and grow corn and beans. When he moved to California more than three decades ago, he began working at vineyards. Sitting in his studio apartment in Sonoma County, the 63-year-old says that after years of cleaning, pruning, and harvesting fields by hand, his wrists are becoming arthritic and his lower back hurts. Over the years, Salazar has paid automatic payroll taxes into Social Security. But like millions of other undocumented workers, he typically used a number that wasn't his own. In my case, I that means that Salazar will never see the money he paid into Social Security. That's even though unauthorized workers pitched a lot of taxes into that fund, roughly $13 billion in a single year, according to the Social Security Administration's most recent estimates. At a rally last week in Sacramento, immigrant advocates tried to raise awareness about AB 1536, which is waiting for its first hearing. The measure would allow undocumented immigrants aged 65 and older to get about $1,100 in monthly stipends through a state-funded cash assistance program. So that they can age with dignity and justice. Angelica Salas directs the Coalition for Humane Immigrant Rights in Los Angeles. She says workers like Salazar, who've given their most productive years to this country, are being treated as disposable. They worked hard in some of the hardest and most backbreaking jobs in this country. They contributed, and now they're completely locked out of any benefits as they reach um, their golden years. The last federal amnesty for undocumented immigrants happened during the Reagan administration in the 1980s. Today, there are more than 160,000 workers like Salazar in California who never had a chance to legalize their status and they're close to or past retirement age now. That estimate comes from the Community and Labor Center at the University of California, Merced. Professor Edward Flores co-directs the center. He says a demographic wave is coming. What do you do with a, a significant proportion of our workforce who has been laboring for decades without access to a social and economic safety net, but now that they're aging and now that they may not be able to work, you know, will be in a much more vulnerable position. Back at his apartment in Healdsburg, Abraham Salazar says that a regular stipend, like what the state bill proposes, would be a huge help. But for now, Salazar is rushing off to another job. He recently launched a landscaping business. He hopes that working for himself will help him make enough money to save a little for retirement. For The California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. In honor of Women's History Month, we'll be sharing the stories of California women trailblazers. Today, we bring you the story of Barbara Ann Richards. In 1941, Richards walked into a Los Angeles courthouse and filed a request to change her name on her legal documents. By her own account, Richards had lived and worked as a man for 27 years before realizing some vital physiological change was taking place. While some people had successfully undergone gender transitions before Richards, it wasn't considered mainstream. Richards' petition garnered international attention after it was reported by the Associated Press. 
And following several months of court hearings, she became one of the first Americans to successfully change her name on legal documents following a gender transition. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, March 7th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, the Nevada County Sheriff's Department issued a news release today about an incident Monday in which a man was jailed after threatening to kill family members. Deputies arrested 56-year-old Brett Hill at his home in the 14,000 block of Sontag Road on charges of making criminal threats, brandishing a weapon, negligent discharge of a firearm, and resisting arrest. Just before 10 Monday morning, the release said the dispatch center received a 911 call from a woman at the home reporting that her brother, identified as Hill, was outside and had threatened family members with a firearm. The caller said Hill had told family members that if anyone told him to leave, he would kill them. The caller also reported that Hill was extremely intoxicated. Nevada County Sheriff's deputies, the Sheriff's Mobile Crisis Team, and CHP officers arrived along with the CHP helicopter. The helicopter crew spotted Hill near the property, which is off Ubet Road. Deputies talked to Hill, and after several minutes of negotiations, the news release said he advanced toward them holding a shovel. Hill refused several commands to drop the shovel. With the help of a sheriff's dog, deputies were able to disarm Hill. He was taken to Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital for treatment and then booked into the county jail with a bail enhancement of $100,000. Detectives served a search warrant at Hill's residence and found three firearms. Ubinet.com reports that the roof of the gym building at Echo Ridge Christian School collapsed over the weekend. No one was inside at the time. The 6,000-square-foot building has been in use since it was built in the 1960s. The weight from recent snow and rain was too much for the roof, and it came down, bringing the back wall with it, according to Ubinet. Echo Ridge Christian School in Nevada City has been in operation in Nevada County since the 1930s. School will continue as normal while cleanup and rebuilding take place. County Assessor Rolf Kleinhans announced today that qualified property owners in Nevada County might be entitled to property tax relief from recent storm damage. Damage must total $10,000 or more for a property owner to be eligible. Applications must be turned in within 12 months of the damage. Information is available by contacting the assessor's office. And for those keeping track, as of this morning, in Nevada County, 5,668 customers were affected by 173 power outages, according to Ubinet. Now here's your forecast from the National Weather Service. An unsettled pattern will bring more snow to the foothills and mountains through Wednesday. A warmer storm system late this week will mean higher elevation snow, along with moderate to heavy rain and possible local flooding. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, expect rain and snow showers with a high of 30 and heavy snow at times. Up to three inches of snow accumulation is possible, as is south wind up to 11 miles per hour with gusts to 18 miles per hour. Wednesday is expected to be breezy and slightly warmer with a high of 40 degrees and snow showers mainly before 11 a.m.
New snow accumulation of 3 to 7 inches is possible. Wednesday evening will be partly cloudy with a low around 27 and subsiding winds. In Trekkie and Lake Tahoe this evening, snow, heavy at times, wind, and a low around 14. New snow accumulation up to 3 inches is possible. Wednesday, snow mainly before 10 a.m. and a high near 27. Southwest wind could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. New daytime snow accumulation of up to 5 inches is possible. Wednesday night, winds and precipitation will subside. It will be partly cloudy with a low around 13. For Sacramento and Woodland tonight, showers likely with a low around 40 and south-southeast wind gusting as high as 18 miles per hour. Wednesday, expect a chance of showers before 9 a.m., then partly sunny with a high near 54 and a low around 37. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. If you or any young people in your life want to learn more about the threat of human trafficking, Seroptimist International is offering an educational opportunity Wednesday evening in Auburn. You'll hear why our location facilitates human trafficking and from survivors with firsthand experience. KVMR's Felton Pruitt has more. We're talking with Cheryl Foley. She's the president-elect of Seroptimist International of the American River. They're presenting a Stop Human Trafficking workshop coming up Wednesday night, March 8th at 7 p.m. It's over at the Spring Hill Suites on Bowman Road in Auburn. Cheryl, thanks for talking with us. Thank you for having us. So let's talk a little bit about human trafficking in our area. Most people would think, oh, that's not a big problem here in the Auburn Grass Valley area. But what is the truth about this? Well, the truth is is that we have a tremendous amount of trafficking that goes on uh, from the foothills through the Sacramento area with having all of these freeways merging. It's the perfect storm for people that are trying to traffic. They can get in and out quickly. They have a lot of resources. We found that we're working with prevention and training. That's really our focus is to make a community aware, make our young people aware. We've asked people to bring their teenagers Wednesday evening because it's not an issue for just people coming in over the border or into the country. It's an issue for our young local teenagers, uh, whether it be a cheerleader at Del Oro or a football player or whatever. They all can be subject to this kind of trafficking. The social media has had a lot to do with it because people don't know who they're talking to half the time on social media. That's our goal is to is to just try to train and prevent and then to assist with people that have been trafficked to help them get out of those situations, find safe housing for them and jobs for them and things like that. Do you have any statistics about locally how many children have become part of human trafficking that might have just been thought as missing or lost kids, but actually they were stolen? You know, I I wish that I did have that information for you, but I don't have an exact figure because I don't think anyone knows how many people are being trafficked. We know that we have a tremendous number of, of organizations in the area. Freedom Through Education is one of the speakers that will be in on Wednesday night. Community Against Sexual Harm will be another group that's in. We have Women of Worth in Grass Valley. 
you know, there's just, there's a myriad of different organizations that are trying to help. But I don't have an exact figure, and I'm not sure that there is a figure on on how many people are succumbing to this. Well, it certainly seems like one of the best ways to help prevent this is through education, like you said, and especially of parents and students right now. I think so. That's what we felt. We brought together a panel of people that have risen from this. So two of the speakers that we'll have with us tomorrow night are survivors that are now case managers working with uh, women and children that have been involved in trafficking and that are trying to help them become successful in life now. Are there programs also to support the recovery process for people that do get out of this horrible situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's uh, the Freedom Through Education group that will be um, the CEO, Johnny Lujan, is who's going to be speaking tomorrow evening. They provide housing and education and support for people that have been involved in trafficking. A lot of times there's criminal charges around trafficking, so they may be coming out of the criminal justice system as well. So they do a lot of work to uh, promote education and housing and support for, for people that have survived. And the same with Community Against Sexual Harm, uh, another organization. Women of Worth up in Grass Valley provides housing for victims of either trafficking or it could be from abuse, uh, being in an abusive situation. So there are several homes in our areas that do provide uh, resources for women and children that have come out of these situations. And I say women because Seroptimus focuses mainly women and children, but there are very many young men that have been involved in this trafficking issue as well. It is not just a female issue. We're talking with Cheryl Foley. She's the president-elect from Seroptimist International of the American River. They're presenting the Stop Human Trafficking Workshop. It's happening Wednesday night, March 8th, 7 p.m. at the Spring Hill Suites on Bowman Road in Auburn. Uh, How can people get in touch with your organization to get more information, Cheryl? They can go to our Facebook site, Seroptimus International of the American River, our Facebook, and there's information there. Uh, They can certainly reach out to us through our emails. I mean, we're happy to share that information. They can go to our Seroptimus International of the American River website and uh, reach out for additional information as well. Or better still, they could come to the event Wednesday night at Spring Hill Suites because we will have experts there and advocates there that uh, can share their experiences and share how they go about identifying the whole abuse situation. So, Because frequently young people and their parents don't recognize the signs of abuse. And so that's one of the anchors of our presentation is that these survivors are going to share their stories, how they got entrapped in it, and how they escaped from it. We've been talking with Cheryl Foley from the Seroptimus International of American River. Thank you so much for this important information. In today's Money Matters commentary, Mark Cuniberti offers his curmudgeonly response to the utility of Nevada County's code red alerts during our recent snow emergency. He says his family had critical needs to be addressed, but the alert system didn't help with any of them. He sees this as dysfunction and as a symptom of a problem that extends far beyond our county. (laughs) 
Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. As I was sitting without power, internet, landline, phone service, and running low on propane due to the recent storms, I received one of many Nevada County Code Red emergency messages. My wife did too as we were both signed up for the free alert service. We also got a text of each similar message and actually the service called me twice within five minutes repeating the same message, listening intently. In the first few days of this record and debilitating snowfall, our family had real needs that needed to be addressed. When could I get more propane? What condition was my street and the rest of the roads in the county in? When was my power going to be restored? And my internet and what was open as to stores where one could get supplies? And where are the shelters in case I have to leave my home for whatever reason? Unfortunately, the Code Red told me nothing I really needed to know that I didn't already know or couldn't figure out on my own. What it did tell me was that more snow was coming. I knew that from my weather app. To dial 911 in case of emergency, to stay inside, keep warm, fuel up my generator, if one had one, and stock up on supplies. Something along those lines. It had some other miscellaneous information, but none of the real concerns were addressed like food, water, shelter, fuel, access, or assistance. I wondered how many taxpayer dollars were going into the alert system and if many other people found it kind of useless like I did. I mean, what if you were elderly and stranded without heat or low propane levels? Who was going to help with that and when? A week into this and I still don't have a clue as to when I can get propane. So do many others in the county. For such a critical need in a rural county like ours, it's a wonder no one has addressed this with some sort of urgency, let alone provide no information at all. What if one needed to know what highway were cleared. You can call 1-800-427-ROADS for that, but I didn't find that on the code red alert. And how were we going to get food? How about getting the driveway plowed so we could be more self-sufficient? But if I couldn't get out or someone needed to get to me? In my house, my wife and I are able to tackle these hurdles, but for many, these things may be insurmountable due to health, age, or lack of help. After getting repeated code red messages and phone calls over the next few days, the ongoing lack of real information got me thinking about other parts of the country and their inhabitants that also experienced brutal storms. My good sense told me many probably had similar problems and many likely faced life-threatening or at least frightening days and nights weathering out the deluges of rain, wind, snow, and ice that befell many parts of the country this week. That line of thinking got me back to the problems in the economy such as supply line issues, labor shortages, rising prices, and the rising possibility of the dreaded stagflation, which is inflation coupled with an economic pullback. Surely, with much of the nation in another lockdown, albeit weather related and only temporary, it can help a country that is trying to restart after COVID and which faces ongoing economic stress related to that event. With COVID savings running out, supply lines slow to unclog, companies laying off thousands while other companies face the obvious contradiction of trying to find workers, China sword rattling and an aggressive Soviet thug waging a war on its neighbor, to now be hit with record-setting weather events just seems universally cruel. In conclusion, in times like these, we need programs such as Code Red and other centrally planned assistance mechanisms to function effectively. We need to be able to navigate the challenges we currently face as a nation and a planet. 
with expediency in a problem-solving mindset. We need to have the fiscal, monetary, and government authorities really put their heads together and come up with real solutions, not just feel good, look like we're doing something, facades, not throwing a rock at Code Red or government in general, mind you, but I would still like to know when I can get some propane. That's it for today's Money Matters. The views expressed are my opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, its staff, management, or underwriters, nor is meant as investment advice. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold a Bachelor of Arts in Economics with honors in 1979 and California Insurance License OL34249. My name is Mark Kuniperty. That's our newscast for Tuesday, March 7th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from our treasured listeners and from Mike Bratton State Farm Agency, providing over 37 years of experience with home, auto, life, and business insurance products and financial services. The Mike Bratton team is a proud supporter of the Nevada County community. MikeBrattonAgency.com This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.